Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. If you want to find us, you can find us on Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook. You can also find me on Instagram at Justin Bizarro, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. And, of course, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. Yes, we are syndicated almost through every platform, I think, at this point across 133 countries. So pretty cool thank you everyone for the downloads thank you everyone for the interest thank you everyone who's supporting the entrepreneurs i see a lot more people liking the episodes sharing the episodes that are their favorite entrepreneurs on the show their favorite artists whatever they are in the food space you guys are supporting them and that gets their episodes uh heard especially internationally and you never know what kind of impact we're going to have um in the life that we have so these are good things you never know what type of influence or person we're going to help or entrepreneur we're going to help in the world um, by sharing our message. So the more we share it, the more word of mouth. Um, I appreciate all that. I appreciate the humbling that I have and and the kind words and everything. Um, so I appreciate everyone for that. And lastly, I just wanted to say, um, interestingly, it makes me less, um, I don't know, cocky, confident it really humbles me when you guys send messages and you guys see what we're trying to do with the world and trying to help the world in that way that we do so i'm not always um calm i'm a very active aggressive driven individual i like to win and i like to make change in the world and fulfill my purpose and grow human so i can be very intense but your messages have definitely humbled me and brought me a lot of light and given me clarity that is this is the right direction to be going, even though there are some days I don't think I can record another podcast, especially when we do five, six, seven a day because of the other three shows, the Centurion Leadership Battalion with Justin Bizarro, the Night Dasher with Justin Bizarro, D-A-S-H-O-R, and then, of course, the Justin Ryan Bizarro Show, which is just like this show, just with non-food entrepreneurs that we're starting to stack up. So that being said, I have a very special guest for us. I love what they're doing. I love their Instagram. I, I love this, um, the legacy here. I love the compounded legacy that's happened in your family. And I really just am so excited to introduce Kristen Gosney, G-O-S-N-E-Y for anyone out there of John's Farm. I hope did I get that right. You did. Yes, I did. Oh my gosh, we don't have to do another take. So, um, Kristen, tell me about your farm, uh, where you guys are located, uh, how you came to existence, and sort of the history of your farm. Take as long as you want. I really think that it is so crucial that we tell the history and the individuals who really built something so amazing as you guys have. Well, thank you, Justin. It's an honor to be on your show and visit with you this morning and we are pretty much hyped up about our history as well because even though oklahoma is a younger state than many of the states in our country um, we have 130 years of history in the state of oklahoma when our ancestors made the land run in 1893 and which ended up being in Major County near Fairview, Oklahoma, and that's where we are located today. Um, when they came, um, we suspect they did not know one another, and we're not sure if our 
great-grandparents ever met. They were 12 miles apart in this area of Oklahoma, and one staked a claim in the rugged Gloss Mountain area where it is especially dry and red dirt, and then my great-grandfather staked a claim southeast of what is now Fairview in the Sandy Loam area. Both of our great-grandfathers did work on the railroad here in Fairview, so I guess there is a possibility they met, but that we will never truly know. Um, their fortitude and perseverance uh, are obvious because of the conditions they came to and the way they were able to hold on to the land that they staked, which eventually passed to our parents and now is under our ownership and management. And uh, we certainly hope that our family continues to cherish what we have been given by our ancestors and move forward And farming, uh, John and I had just completed our college education, which was the only time that we were actually away from our community. We moved back to Fairview and began farming uh, with, alongside our parents. And we were conventional farmers until 1996, at which time we were given the opportunity maybe I should say challenge, to become organic farmers. And reluctantly, we accepted that offer. And then over time, about three years actually, we were so impressed and John felt like he was being redefined in the farming industry. And so we converted everything that was under our management into the organic program which basically leads us to where we are today. We are uh, organic farmers in the beef production industry as well as in wheat production. So let's talk about this a little bit. <clears throat> so basically, did you say 1986? Or 96, I'm sorry. 96. 96 is when so we up, started transitioning. So almost basically 103 years, you guys had been conventional farmers uh, as, a, as a farm uh, since you were founded in 1893. And, um, and so tell me about like when you decided this, how did this conversation happen? How did you decide that organic was better? Because 100 years would have proven to you guys otherwise. You know, how did this conversation go between you and John about, like, changing to an organic situation? Because in 96, I remember Whole Foods was just like, there were maybe two of them on the planet, you know? Um, so, like, I remember that era because I would buy all the organic fruits and vegetables that they couldn't sell into the grocery stores from farms in Maryland and then sell them in my roadside stands. We had four of them uh, where we would sell all summer long. Uh, f fruit and vegetables, uh, organic that Whole Foods wouldn't sell. And we were one of the first people to get organic out there in our area because no one knew about it other than when the one or two Whole Foods that were in our area. So I'm just interested because it just seems like such a leap of faith um, 
how did you guys go about this? How did the conversation happen? You know, how long before you discovered it till you actually did it, I guess. There's a lot of questions in there, but I think you understand what I'm trying to get at. Absolutely. Let's look back at those 103 years in conventional farming really did include organic because the commercial inputs were not available when our ancestors began farming here. And so I can recall the time as a youngster at home when my dad attended a couple of meetings in town where either a fertilizer company or a chemical company, whatever, was introducing a product to be used by the farmer in hopes of producing a better crop. And sometimes we have been asked, you know, do you resent the fact that what was originally organic processed through time into conventional farming? Absolutely not. I know that my parents were facing hardships. They were trying their best to hold on to the farm. They were doing their best with the knowledge they had to produce a crop. And along come these new input ideas that hopefully would increase the bottom line. So you spend a little bit here in hopes of gaining a little bit there. And I fully understand that concept. And I watched as my dad started experimenting with some of these inputs. We also have to realize that at that point in time, no one fully understood the repercussion of these inputs. So at first, yes, there was an increase in yield and it brought about additional profits. But over time, the life of our soil has been affected to the point of practically being destroyed in many instances. So those 103 years just kind of happened with the flow of the tide, so to speak, in the realm of agriculture. Then in, and and we fully accepted that because when we uh, graduated from college and moved back to Fairview and started farming, this doesn't really seem possible knowing where we are at today. But in the beginning of our farming career, we were actually applying in a commercial sense some of these inputs, not only for our own operation, but for others who employed us to do so. We probably wouldn't do that again. But uh, regardless, that's, that's what we were doing. Then in 1995, I'll just be brief on this part of the story, but um, our son uh, lost his life in a farming accident as a commercial uh, custom harvester in Idaho. And his dream and his pursuit was to follow us in farming. So losing him put us into a totally unknown and unwanted realm of life. 
It was discouraging, depressing, and all of those things. And about six months after his death, we were approached by a neighbor who was one of two organic farmers in our county and asked if we would be willing to rent his farm ground with the criteria that it be kept organic because his family had kept it that way. And we turned down that offer. Um, you know, I, I sometimes laugh and think we couldn't spell the word organic, but we had never needed to. Well, he was persistent, and he called us a second time, and he called us a third time, and on the third time, we had put a pencil to the facts and figures, and if we had a little bit less input cost using commercial fertilizers, herbicides, pesticides, etc., and got a dollar a bushel more for our product, would that be more profitable? So that was truly the motivation at the moment to accept his offer. So here we are farming uh, a fairly sizable number of acres conventional and a couple hundred acres organic. I don't think that was my idea. That was John's. He And over time, I watched what happened with that. It gave John a new focus. Uh, he's the kind of guy that when he accepts something and gives you his word, he's going to do everything in his power to make sure he stays true to his word. And he had accepted that challenge and he was going to try to make it work, which meant self-study day and night, visit with anyone that had experience, and go back to our landlord and ask for his advice, because he was certainly more um, conditioned into organic farming than we. It began to bring John out of his discouragement and depression, gave him a new focus and a challenge. And so over about three years of that, and he's like, you know, I am no longer that conventional farmer. I am so intrigued and I'm so convinced that organic farming is putting life back into the soil and it's producing healthy product. And that's what I want to do. So we began transitioning everything that we managed from conventional farming into organic so that in three years, everything we were doing was now organic with the exception of our livestock. We were still purchasing stocker steers in the fall, running them on wheat pasture and selling them in the spring. And we were almost experts at being able to purchase those calves at a high price and selling them at a lower price so that uh, there wasn't much profit in that. We just hoped to pay our chemical bill or our chemical loan at the bank. So transitioning a cultivated 
property into organic meant we didn't have quite that exorbitant note, but we needed to figure out what we're going to do with our beef now. Well, we didn't own a cow. We only had stalkers. In the organic program, you own the cow, the bull. You basically are the production chain. So we started transitioning from stalker steer to a cow-calf operation. And uh, that took us a while. Uh, We were in no way able to just go buy a herd of cows. So we would gradually add some cows and then we would bring in fewer stalkers. And we did that actually for 10 years. During that process, we stopped using uh, commercial inputs on livestock as well, even on our stalker steers. And suddenly we started realizing that we had more healthy animals than we'd ever had. And that even was another reason and more convincing for us to continue to figure out how to make this work, how to get our livestock program into the organic arena. And after 10 years, we had a cow-calf herd we were ready to certify uh, as organic livestock producer. And now we're looking at a new challenge, one that we had not realized would come about as a result of our change. And that is, what are we going to do with this organic beef producing? Where is a market? Well, there may be some farmers that are also natural marketers, but certainly that was not John or I. And when we have this product processed, how are we going to designate its difference from anything else? So that was my uh, challenge, was to develop a uh, brand, uh, a label, and get it approved for use on our product. And, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, and it was a trial and error through the way, and it actually took a year from the time I started that process until we had a uh, USDA approved label for our product. Well, so now we have the product and we have the label and what are we going to do with it? I mean, we've got to get it out there into the marketplace and let the consumer know that this is available. And that was another whole challenge in marketing of itself. And basically that, challenge has never gone away because people's likes and dislikes change and media changes and social media is introduced and you know we have Facebook and then we have Instagram and then we have people like you Justin so it is an ever-changing always adapting process for us here at the farm but it's certainly challenging And there are many, many rewards along the way, one of which knowing that we are producing products that are wholesome and healthy and that are meeting the needs of many like-minded consumers. I agree with this. So when you started, did you know it was going to take 10 years to get to where you were or were you guys just on a mission? This is what we're going to do. This is the right thing to do. 
um, you know, it's the right thing to do by the animals or, or God, all of those things, in my opinion. So how did, did you know it was going to take you 10 years? Because I think a lot of people who today would be like, <clears throat> 10 years, are you crazy? How is it going to take me that long? But I mean, it well, is the reality of being an entrepreneur. It is the reality of business. And it's the reality of pivoting a long-term existing business, too. It takes a long time for you to pivot. So did you guys know, did you talk about it, or you were just in it for doing the right thing? I had no idea that it would take us 10 years, and I don't think John did either, but, you know, he was so focused on it and and so willing to make it happen, and I'll have to admit, you know, I was a reluctant one. I was like, well, actually, at first, when he said, you know, I think uh, this is defining me now. This is who I am. We're going to convert this farm to organic. I thought the guy lost his mind. I'm like, we are? Surely not. <laughs> How's this going to happen? But I I guess he kind of pulled me into the current, and I began to realize this is, this is what we need to be doing. Um, my faith tells me that even though we were reluctant, uh, God opened a door for us when we needed it the most. We were pretty reluctant to step in it on the third inquiry from the landlord. You know, God just nudged us through that door. And so when I keep that in my mind, uh, I know that this is where we're supposed to be, regardless of the 10 years it took us to get there. And, you know, someone else starting into this same uh, process, they may do it in a couple of years. But the way our situation was at the time and the way we needed to work out our finances and and the amount of knowledge we needed to gain took us 10 years. And that's okay because now we, um, you know, kind of have all those other experiences to go back to, uh, to look at, to evaluate, and help make decisions for the future. But certainly I did not anticipate it being uh, 10 years before we would have certified organic livestock. I know that uh, for me personally, when I switched over, I mean, personally, I started, I switched over and we did millions of meals a year for healthcare um, under food service partners for long-term care homes. We even got into restaurants and grocery stores and I remember I converted over to like whole foods, like I did paleo for a little bit, but then I balanced out my diet, like in my early 30s, for sure, late 20s. And as I did that and discovered the effect on my body, also growing up on a farm, I, uh, I eventually came to this weird conclusion that we needed to serve better proteins and better fruits and vegetables. Not, I mean, we were doing well and serving whole foods and making things from scratch. And obviously trying to do less processed foods, uh, less chemicals in our food as we did feeding. We would produce it today. It'd go out for lunch, dinner, tomorrow, and breakfast the following day, central production. But as I weirdly had this thing where, like, I'm doing wrong, I'm not actually helping humans in the hospital. I'm not actually helping them get better. And while I'm doing better than processed food, I'm not actually giving them the, the things, the organics, the grass-fed, the pasture-raised, the free-range that is needed for a healthier lifestyle because those bad things compounded in the human body. I started to see it. 
especially being in the business for 24 plus years and then you see patients um, that have gone in and out of your hospital for 20 years and they aren't getting better and you're almost making them worse by the food and the medicine where good food can be preventative medicine. But I do remember it was about five years ago when, you know, um, and it, I will also say it hurt the company badly, where I decided and announced in a lot of ways that we were going to go in this direction for our future and we we're going to try to get there by 2025. Um, be all sustainable, all uh, regenerative, actually, I call it. Um, sustainable is to sustain what we have now. Regenerate means to replenish, to regenerate the planet and bring it back to the organics before the conventional things we've done. And um, so regenerate our planet wholly. And the pushback for years that I got, I mean, it would ultimately lead us in a different direction and we would break up the company and sell off pieces and and have to bankrupt some uh that were connecting pieces but what i learned there um a lot was that most humans even if they know it's beneficial to other humans even the healthcare companies even the food companies even the grocery store chains who claim to do a lot of this stuff, you really got to find people that have it as a purpose and a principle. No different than John. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm getting a little emotional. <clears throat> and um, sorry, guys, that normally doesn't happen. And um, <laughs> but the thing is, is when you're doing the right thing and you realize it's the right thing and no one else does, it's a very hard place to stand. And people often call you crazy or insane or can't believe you're doing what you're doing. What are you doing? You're taking this perfectly good running, functioning business. Why would you ruin it? And I think that that's part of it. I've seen it. I've seen a lot of individuals that called me friends or or coworkers or business partners over the years come after me because I do believe in doing food in a better place and a better way and making this world better because of it. I think all humans eat. And I think that this is truly a vehicle by making humans better, making our planet better, and regenerating it. And if we eat how many meals a day and we all choose to do it right and do it the way that replenishes our planet, regenerates our planet, helps the animals and the plants on our planet, then I don't see how that could be wrong. But we sort of ignore it. We take the easy route. There's 10 million other distractions in the world we'd rather think about than how we eat. Um, and taking responsibility for our food and our food sources, interestingly, even though it's the most important thing for human development and the human mind and our future, our children's future, the future of the humans on this planet, above all else, um, is taking care of the animals and the plants properly and eating them in a way where they can maximize the nutrients, the minerals, and the vitamins they give us. Um, That is their purpose, uh, as I've come to understand it. But I will say you made the comment about the crazy thing. It really did strike home. I think still people are out there that still think I'm a horrible person or I'm crazy because I switched over from non-conventional and I moved our company in a different direction, even though it hurt us, even though it may have led to us being broken up in the way that we had to. Um, I will say this, that still today, as I reform a new company called Freedom Foods, Uh, with a group of business partners who align with my principles and the principles I have on these particular issues that we're gonna that it's better than I ever had before but it was this crazy struggle and 
crazy disbelief by people that we would take something that was quote unquote successful and change it in a different direction. And it's still amazing to people that I'm still trying and I'm doing it all over again because I, like John in a weird way, have this instilled in me. I think I've had it since birth. I've always known it was there as an entrepreneur to better the world and try to make it a better place while I have the time here. And through me, my vehicle is food. You know, that's my number one vehicle. I have podcasts. I have everything else, uh, influence people, coach people. But for me, the true way that I see having big impact and influence is through food and the way all humans eat and the way that the way we eat can regenerate our planet and save the world and ultimately get us off this planet if we want to also. Sorry, guys. Apparently, I'm losing my voice. And um, but I think it's it is important what you're saying. And I think weirdly when you're on this type of mission years start to go by but it's not significant the little losses here and there or the changes or the hardships aren't significant because you have this purpose and the loss of something or relationships or in my case a business that was like my child not the same thing not to be confused but I don't have children on my own I only have stepchildren um the loss of that was so significant to me me, as we did it even though some ways I had a choice and other ways I didn't I that loss has become something that's so instilled in me to do it better and to regenerate the planet and to speak to people and help other entrepreneurs and do podcasts and never let my voice be unheard or let my actions not be for the future or as I would say you know to better the world God created you know God created the trees we turn it into furniture as humans you know that's the way I look at it it's what to do with what he gave us what he created and do better with it and use it to help humans and help the planet and animals on it so I love this topic in particular. That's one of the reasons I love having you guys on the farm. I mean, on the show and what you're doing with the farm. So let's talk about your the entrepreneurial ingenuity. You know, let's talk about how do you get your product out there? How do you get your organic product out there? How do you get your organic beef out there when so many people are still hesitant because of price or some so many people are still hesitant because of doesn't have the same flavor per se as you know corn fed beef or whatever corn finished beef and all those are the stocker steers that you were talking about you to me it's a better flavor i understand it better but how do you sort of negotiate all that um how do you deal with it because even the fat's a little bit yellow versus what everyone's used to seeing which is white and they think something's wrong with it although it's actually healthier um how have you gone through all of that well, let's uh, go back just briefly, Justin, to your talking about being crazy, because I think that is something that uh, we certainly did not anticipate being called crazy when we started this process. And I understand it more now that I look back and, and see, well, yes, maybe we were. And uh, I realized that, you know, at one time in our uh farming career when we would drive by our now landowner's farm and see more weeds on his farm than those surrounding him I thought the guy was crazy too and I've had to apologize to him numerous times for those thoughts that I had but you know when we started this it was not unusual for um, a couple of farmers to drive by our fields really slow on their way to the local coffee shop 
and they were just checking out what it was that John might be doing that day. Uh, you know, he might be out in the field sitting there watching bugs crawl up and down a leaf to see if they would take a bite of that plant after he had pr- sprayed sugar water on it. So we were quite the uh, talk of the community for a good number of years. Um, I suspect uh, there were people that were thinking we were crazy and perhaps laughing at what we were doing. And that was very bothersome for for that first few years. I mean, like, we knew we were doing what we were supposed to be doing, but, like, y'all are not thinking so. So, you know, it it was bothersome. But over time, we go, like, well, whatever. <laughs> it's we know we have a purpose, and we have a goal in mind, and we have a future in this, and that's where we're headed. And I think also those onlookers have realized that, uh, you know, after 20-some years, John isn't going to change and go back to conventional farming. He often says, farming's everything to me, and I wouldn't farm if I had to go back. Um, And so we're not perhaps the uh, center of conversation around the coffee shop anymore. Or if we are, maybe... um, someone is becoming more interested in what it means to raise healthy food. So back to your uh, original question on connecting with consumers, I believe is what you were asking me, Justin. Yeah. Um, Well, again, you know, we had to start looking at how do we market this product? And when we began, organic was popular on the coasts and a newer concept through the central part of the United States, which includes Oklahoma, of course. So we started going to a farmer's market in Oklahoma City, and it was a a very successful market place because it had been there a number of years, so there was a lot of traffic. And we could sample our food. And so we, <laughs> we were so new at this. We set up our booth and our samples and people would come by and we would offer them a sample of our uh, grass finished organic beef. And most of the consumers would, would, you know, take a sample, but there were a few that would look at you and then they would go, well, I've tasted that grass finished stuff before. I don't like it. And they would go on. Or they would question us about the breed of cattle. Well, hey, we were just trying to get cows and a herd in place on our farm. And we had not thought one thing about being a specific breed. And then we would have people say, well, we only eat Angus. And they refused to sample. Like, oh my goodness, it's time to listen to the consumer and reevaluate where we are and especially where we're headed because this doesn't appear to be working the best. So we, over time, as cows would age out, we would make sure we 
got an Angus cow replacement. And we started running Angus bulls. So that now we have a black and red Angus herd. And I would say hats off to the Angus industry. They are excellent marketers. Do I believe that I could taste Angus as compared to a product from a mixed breed steer? I don't think I could. Someone else might be able to. But regardless, the majority of the public has been influenced by a superior marketing campaign. So now we have you know, start this market and the first year we lost money going to the market and the second year we were close to breaking even and the third year we were breaking even and we had to be pretty dedicated to continue to go. But over time and through educating consumers, answering their questions, being personable with them, being transparent with them, telling our story, telling how it is we raise these beef, telling them that we are privileged actually to be able to feed our family a healthy product and have enough left to share with someone else. The consumer started building connections with us. We developed relationships with them. And one consumer would tell their friend or relative and someone else would come and find us. And basically, that's still the way it is. You know, people get brave and they try our product and they like it and they tell someone else. So connecting with the consumer to me is all about being transparent and willing to communicate and building relationships regardless of whether they purchase your product or not. Um, Just trying to be real people. We're real farmers and we wear real skin and we'll tell you what we really do. Does that help? Yeah, extremely. I think that that's one, you build long-term relationships. Like that is key. You don't see dollar signs. You're actually trying to educate people because you have a purpose in your product. You're not just trying to make the money off it. I think that's also what anyone should hear, even though you've had successful farm and then you go through this successful thing of raising organic animals and then you pivot. The reality is, is you guys kept educating people. You stayed with it. You didn't let things get you down and you never gave up no matter what was going on. The loss of a son, the, the purpose of going organic, even with everyone saying that you shouldn't or making fun of you. Um, Cause I, I, you know, I remember what a lot of people still do when they hear organic or, or grass fed beef. And, and then lastly, I think it's your ability to want the consumer to have a better life, to have a better lifestyle, because there is a better source of beef out there, um, in organics. And I agree with you. Um, I will say this is that, um, it, I can't tell a difference. And I think that if we're out to regenerate our planet and we actually care about the animals in it, as everyone does, then that would encompass all species. And that the diversity of the species would actually lead us to a diversity of minerals, diversity of vitamins, and diversity of nutrients because not every species uptakes the same way. 
So in my opinion, you want the diversity. This is always an amazing thing for me because we get caught up as humans on the same thing always, and we find so much comfort and consistency and routine, which I think is great. However, you can still have beef multiple times a week, but from different sources of beef, okay? And that I mean within organics or grass-fed, obviously grass-finished. But what I am saying is it's okay to try different ones. It's okay to try different chickens, cows, turkeys, beef, not just get caught up in the same things. One, our planet needs the diversity for its regeneration. And number two, like we need it as humans to maximize our potential. Our kids need it to maximize their potential. Our grandkids, you know, our brain is fueled off of the food that we eat. It's not, there's no hack. I know everyone thinks there's like vitamins and everything that does whatever. Those are just hacks. Most of that stuff doesn't even get absorbed in our bodies because our body doesn't know how to naturally absorb that stuff. It never will. Our body is meant to, to absorb food. You know, our body's meant to heal and have medical properties off of food. That doesn't mean I don't take medicine, but it does mean that I try to balance my diet a lot so I don't need any medicine if I ever need it. I haven't needed it in a long time. Even with getting recently really sick, I figured out a way to get through it sort of naturally and with the food that I eat. Okay, so it can be expensive. It's not a cheap thing. And so, but there are ways that you can find local farmers, local people that have organic farms, that have organic vegetables, especially now during the spring and summer, that you can get stuff cheaper from, even cheaper than the grocery store in some cases, I will say. You know, and that's the thing that I think everyone doesn't realize. When you don't have all the inputs that are related to conventional farming or all that stuff, eventually over time and cutting out all the middlemen, which is just run rampant in our beef industries and our pork industries. When you actually go to the farms and you go to the farmer's markets and you get the food fresh, it will actually, one, make you healthier. Two, you can find cheaper ways of doing it. And three, it your decisions are bettering the world, not only for your children, but for the other humans that live on it and animals that we inhabit it with. So I think that's a the huge piece. Like, let's talk about a little bit like leadership and mentoring. Like you guys have come through a lot. Were there other people out there that you sort of had as mentors or coaches or people that you believed in? I mean, you mentioned uh, John had the neighbors uh, that you guys rented the farm from, but were there other people in this field or other people in general that you guys looked up to or were motivated by? Uh, yes, there were a couple of others. And uh, as we go to that, and you had mentioned, uh, the, you know, it's not cheap to eat healthy foods, but hey, medical care is pretty exorbitant. So um, yep. it, uh, it uh, kind of lessens the price of eating healthy. And, you know, when we are so encouraged when young families seek us out and they tell us, you know, we're just looking for wholesome food because we want to, as much as possible, ensure the health of our children in the future. And, man, that's just, that's just as encouraging as you can get. And, you know, they, they want to know what they're eating, and they want to know who grew it and who grew that food that's going into my mouth. So, yes, we looked to find other people who could be helpful resources to us as we were along this journey. Uh, basically, our neighbor had some experience. He had 
some ex, uh, experience with finding the large marketers. For example, our wheat goes out of here um, in pails to consumers, but it also goes out in semi-trucks going to organic mills across the United States where it is milled for organic breads and cereals and those kind of items. And we needed help finding those resources, and that was very helpful. But when you are pretty much the lone ranger in your area uh, for an organic farmer, uh, there were not a whole lot of other resources that we could use as far as individuals. Um, John read everything he could get his hands on that talked about organic he studied the products that were out there that had been approved for organic use. And one person uh, that in particularly stood out to us was Joel Salatin. And I kind of define him uh, as the guru of grass-fed and grass-finished animal production. He, like us, is a real farmer. He's dedicated and determined He's made a name for himself in, in our nation and our world. He's just such an excellent communicator and so enthusiastic about he, what he does. Plus, he has a great sense of humor. So people just gravitate to him. And I was fortunate to be able to attend a conference where uh, Joel led the various sessions. And my purpose in attending was to learn how we could produce 100% grass-finished beef as opposed to 99% grass-finished because it seemed to us that 100% in our area of the country wasn't working out so well. There were times of stress and extreme heat and extreme cold or when we were um, weaning calves that the cattle were stressed enough that we could see their condition deteriorate slightly. They just needed a little more. So we raise, and still do, organic barley, and those animals over a lifetime get less than 1% of their diet in organic barley. 1% as compared to 99% of grass. Well, you don't finish anything on only 1%. And our cattle are constantly free-ranged. They're always grass-pastured. They are never put into a feeding situation. This little bit of and minimal amount of organic barley they get is actually run onto the ground in their pastures where they nibble on it as they graze the grass as well. But after studying Joel Salatin's 100% grass programs like okay i'm going to go to this conference and listen to everything that man has to say and when i come home i'm going to be able to tell john how we can do without this one percent of barley well i didn't learn it there i'm like oh my well it just so happened that after the conference i go to the airport to catch my flight home and wouldn't you know there's mr salatin waiting on his departing flight as well. And we struck up a visit, my telling him how much I had enjoyed his conference, but also that I was going home unable to answer the one question that I had. So we start talking about that question. 
And then I share with him, you know, we, we've had our beef tested for healthy qualities. We want it to be healthy. We thought it was, but we were concerned about this 1% of barley. And, you know, some producers claim no grain ever is the very best. And maybe that's the case. We don't know. So we tested our product. And it comes back so healthy that it is more healthy than the average grass-finished beef. It's so healthy that people at the university are calling and saying, what are you all doing there? And they bring out students on field trips to walk across our pastures thinking that we must have some type of magic we're doing over here. And we don't. So I'm telling him this and I'm sharing with him our test results. And his face lit up and he smiled at me and he said, with test results like that, you just need to go home and do exactly what you are doing. And I wish you the very best. When you talk about motivation, in my mind, that was the ultimate. <laughs> the guru of grass finish told me, go home, tell John, you're doing an excellent job. Just keep doing what you're doing. So that was a certainly an unforgettable experience. Uh, it defined momentum to the greatest extent, and we have held true to that practice of 99% grass, 1% organic barley. I kept and keep feeding records. I know how much barley we harvest. I know how much we feed over time. I know how many head we're feeding this to in the pasture in these little tiny uh, spots of barley we run on the ground. I submitted those records to USDA. Again, I wanted to be transparent with my consumers and my customers. And I asked USDA, may we put grass finished on our label? And we have permission to do that. So um, that was one of those, uh, I guess, accomplishments that we uh, feel secure in now. And we feel like we have done our very best to ensure the customer who is concerned about healthy eating that they can find that in our beef. I 100% agree with this, actually. And I agree that there is ways to supplement naturally um, and stay organic and still do that. I think there's wheat grasses. I think um, there's things like that that farmers have used um, and planted in their fields as well to help, you know, because the cows grow when the energy is the best in the grass. And when you go through those downtimes or droughts, a lot of the energy is going to sustain the grass not to grow it. And when there's not growing energy in the grass, it doesn't grow the humans or the animals that are eating it. I just want everyone to just picture that because I know it's hard for everyone to imagine, but if something's not growing, it actually doesn't give growth energy the same way. It doesn't give the same health benefits as, as it does. Or when it's organic and it's relying on itself to grow, it's got better energy in its molecules. I know that people are like, oh, what are you talking about? Well, when we fertilize it unnaturally or we use pesticides, we're not allowing those plants and uh, animals to do things naturally that make their meat great, okay, or the plants great, right. or give the humans what they need. Weirdly, 
Um, you don't want them to be stressed because that doesn't lead to their growth. And then we pick up their stressors in our eating. That's why conventional beef can be so hard. That's why people are there's stressors in there. It's not only the, all the chemicals and everything and the way we, we raise them you know, or the situations, it also has to do with the stressors and has to do with the lifestyle they leave and and the purpose that we're ultimately getting to. If we want them to be the healthiest possible in order to provide us with the best health possible, we have to balance some of this out. So I agree with you. It's still grass fed, grass finished. I think that, you know, the way that the barley's done and that you guys do it, um, and is necessary to keep the animals healthy and you rather have a you know people are always like oh you know what do you do well in this case the animals live a lot longer have better lives there's not as many death as there was in the wild it also gives them a healthier life to fulfill their life and their purposes god intended it as part of the food chain and so like there's all of these things and we try to get too carried away and playing god and whatever else and i get it but the actual reality is is if we recreate the environment um, as close as possible as the wild, but then and add natural things that we do as humans, as the angels on this planet over animals, so that we can better the health of other animals, so we can better the health of humans, that is a very important thing. And I know it's hard to believe that we have to you know, kill an animal in order for it to be our food. But we're not understanding that the reason these animals have life and have purpose is because we've also given it to them. Otherwise, they may be extinct. Otherwise, if we didn't do what we did, we may not have them in our world because we protect them, we grow them, and we we give them, and they give life to us. That is their purpose, um, and they give life to other animals, even if it wasn't us. So, exactly one of the things that I think is hugely important is that um sorry i had a background noise coming in here um i didn't realize my phone wasn't silent i apologize about that and um the um the uh justin can i play off your energy yes absolutely go ahead you know uh growing cattle with the energy they require is different for each one of us as a producer i mean our cattle are going to require more energy in the extremes and we have those in oklahoma we may have a week of you know very frigid weather or we may have a week or two of extreme heat and those animals just require more to have the energy they need to be healthy and that's the reason for the barley in our case so our goal in that is for them to live their best life in the most harsh environment. And that's what we're able to do with them when we supplement them with such a minimal amount of barley. I personally don't relate that the same as grain, because as you referred to, most of the time that refers to a ration that contains corn and there are no kernels of corn on this farm and barley is a uh, source of energy and it's also a source of easily digested food and then the other thing we've learned through grass finished and you um, also alluded to this you know it tastes different it's 
It's just different than a grain-finished animal. And that was another thing the customers taught us. When they said, you know, we've tasted that before, it's not the same. And we realized that as well. And that's when we looked at the entire program, the life of this animal, what is the approximate weight or average weight when we are processing these beef, and what could we do differently that might improve what the consumer believes is the better flavor. And we realized that we were processing like many producers, uh, uh, especially grass-fed producers do, at around a 1,000 pound average. Well, at that point in time, that animal has used its energy to build its frame, not improve its product. But once that frame is established, then the animal starts using its energy in its product production, which for our livestock means there's some fat coming along, which there's flavor in fat, there's tenderness in that. And as a result, we are now processing at around average of 1,400 pounds and our beef is very well marbled, tender and tasty. I believe there's still probably a flavor difference in our beef as compared to a uh, feedlot situation where a ration's been fed for 90 days, but there's not gonna be much tenderness differentiation. And people who will try it for the first time are just like, oh my goodness, what? What are you guys doing that's different? This is flavorful. It's tender. It's great. And I really believe it's all contributes back to the point of providing the animal the energy it needs when it needs it and allowing it to live its very best life regardless of the environment and letting it mature and maturate in a natural sense. Let it be on grass pasture all the time, eating grass with a minimal supplement and enjoying the environment and becoming fully mature before it goes to processing. Yeah, and I'm going to weigh this even extra on here for you guys. You know, I'm going to read a definition online. Um, Barley itself is a grass that is sometimes called barley greens or barley grain. It comes from a young barley plant that has yet to be harvested for grain. So one of the things I want everyone to understand, um, corn is an exception. It's not a grass and soybeans are not grass. But wheat and barley in their early stages and until we process them, okay, as humans, we turn them into grain-like things. Okay, we turn them into grains that become cereals, all those things, we manipulate them. Okay, as humans, God created the grass, we created the grain. Okay, just so everyone's aware, when I talked about the tree and the furniture, I did that on purpose to anchor this conversation. God created the tree, we create furniture out of it. While we create something beautiful out of it, we're still tearing down the tree, right? And God didn't create furniture, we did. Okay, and in this same case, God created barley grass, God created wheat grass, he also created corn and soybeans, but the way we process them 
is what we turn them into grain. So when we're talking about barley in this set, it technically is still a grass and it still is grass finishing your beef. Okay. And, and, and true to what I understand and true to what I've done my research, especially over the last 14, 15 years, as I've really gotten into this, is that it's us that manipulates it. It's us that almost processes it and we turn it into grains. We strip it of a lot of its properties so much so we have to then go back and reinforce it with minerals and vitamins that are already in it. Okay, And one of the things that I say why I'm going to anchor this conversation is barley is high in vitamin A and vitamin C. It's particularly... We can eat it as humans. We try to put it in our drinks, the barley grass, all that stuff, and get that, and we absorb it, but nowhere near the efficiency that we absorb it when an animal like a cow eats that same barley grass or grass and translates that vitamin A and vitamin C into its meat, and we get it through that way, okay? And you guys can argue all you want. I know people are going to say otherwise, but it is the truth. Like, Animals such as cows that are meant to break down those chemicals and vitamins and put it into their muscles so we can eat it or organ organs in their tissues so we can eat them is the way life is. That doesn't mean we don't get some from eating it directly. It's just that we get it in a different, more fortified way by its beef. We don't need to then go back and fortify our breads and fortify our rices and fortify our barley and our corn and all that because we do that. Look at all the labels. We fortify everything because we strip out the ingredients by processing it. That's why it's become bad for us. Okay? So... Right. Yes. One of the things that I, I will say, so even though you're arguing 99 to 1, I still say it's 100% based on this definition. And from my standpoint, just to really put this home, I agree with you. There needs to be like winter wheat grasses. There needs to be barley grasses. And they need to be harvested to supplement the animals to add them from stressors. They aren't in their natural environments where they may even actually be more stressed. But they are environments that aren't normal. Most cows come from Europe. You know, we had buffalo here. That's what's used to the environment. So cows are not, no matter how much we genetically make them that way or we alter them, they're still a cow. Okay, no matter how much we glorify them, calling them Angus or, or Black Angus or Red Angus or all the other cows, Herefords, all the other cows that are out there, the reality is, is they're still a cow, just like we're all humans. <laughs> and they need certain things, you know to survive right. and it's always funny to me that we don't realize the beauty and the diversity um, in the animals in our food systems and that it is essential for our survival we can't just take a vitamin and get what we need I get it we do it all the time but most of those vitamins don't actually absorb into our bodies right. so thank you for that um, that was that really hit home and I agree with you on the energy um, like let me ask this, like, where are you hoping this goes? You guys are obviously growing. You're getting your voice out there. You're, you've changed public opinion of your product. You're starting to get traction there. You've been through COVID, which was probably an interesting endeavor <laughs> being a farmer and different politics, I'm sure, are a whole other podcast in and of itself that you guys have had to deal with in terms of cows and farming and that whole game that everyone does. Um, but where are you hoping this goes? Well, we are continually growing our business, and I would say that that is probably the most rewarding part of our farming business is that we continually grow uh, 
from inquiries and just new interests and phone calls and emails and social media, all of those things, we see more people, uh, new faces, and of course the return of our customers. So that is just so rewarding that others are appreciating the efforts that we're putting in. What does the future hold? Well, that will, of course, be interesting. But um, at present, our grandson um, will be graduating from high school here in a couple of weeks. And his like and his goal has always been, since he was just a little shaver, to come to the farm. And that is his plan, that he will be moving uh, into our community shortly and starting to learn from his papa what it is to be an organic farmer. Our hope and dream is, of course, that he loves it uh, as much as he thinks he will, and maybe even as much as his papa does, so that he can carry this heritage and this current situation on into the future. If we uh, are blessed, you know, we can be around here another five to ten years and help with that transition, and uh, that would just be phenomenal. And in the meantime, you know, we, we have six grandchildren, and one's coming back, but the others are all tied into the farm. They come to see what's going on. They come to lend a helping hand, uh, as do our children and their spouses as well. So I believe the farm and the operation and the heritage and the history and everything that we're doing is being ingrained to them, and they are becoming endeared to that so that we feel like you know uh, they will continue to appreciate and honor what has gone on before them and carry that into their families as well. If all of that comes to... Uh, Tuition, certainly we will have been blessed. Yeah, I love this. Um, I appreciate that. And I, gosh, Kristen, you are an amazing interview person. You've obviously been talking about your farm and your product for a long time. I can tell what an entrepreneurial mind you have and develop doing this. I can also, gosh, I feel like the legacy that you guys have created in, in your grandchildren and their love of the farm and whether it's just one now, maybe more that come help eventually marketing and advertising, not necessarily just the farming. I think as we realize farms are our businesses and they take more than just the farmer and they take more than just producing food, uh, in a lot of cases. And, um, I think that that's hugely important. And, and before I forget, I will want to note, I don't know how I phrased it earlier, but I think I phrased it like corn is a grass, but not the kernels in the way that we produce them and process them. That's just something I wanted to distinct for everyone. It is part of the grass family. Um, but the kernels and the way we do grain is not when we grain finish an animal, we're taking all the stuff that's not the grass, the the seeds, the the items that we can process and turn into things, but that's not necessarily the grass. Um, and even when we're talking about it, the barley and wheat, they are grasses. So is corn. Just think about it as corn on the cob is it's corn seeds 
um, that make it grow. They're not necessarily the grass that we should eat that make us grow. Okay, so I just want to clarify there. I think maybe I wasn't clear on corn's relationship to the world, but I do agree that corn-finished, uh, grain-finished animals have all the parts of those items that they may be fattening and they may have sugar. They're not the healthiest parts of the 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 grass. That's why we sort of eliminate them that and they've been modified in ways and stripped of a lot of their nutrients by the time they get them. So it's just a feeding frenzy, for lack of a better term, to add weight, not to add health. Okay, so that's the major difference there. I know people get caught up in a lot of things, but it's a matter of when the push comes to shove, it's not super complicated. And I know we overcomplicated. Well, this is the way we did it, and why would we do it differently? It's the minorest thing. It's we're doing something as humans when we process these grasses, and we do it in a way that's not natural to the nature. And when we add chemicals and fertilizers and stuff like that, we compound that unnatural effect. Okay, and that's not natural for our food sources, and therefore in our food sources, it com- compounds into us in unhealthy ways. And so that's really what it comes down to, guys, is we've created our own issue. Um, to your point at the beginning of the podcast, we started <laughs> yes, off we organic, you know, and now we've gotten off of that. And in the mass production of food and to speed up the production of food, we stripped down only what we perceive as the most valuable parts of these plants but the reality is is we basically have stripped them for anything of value really to the human body they may be valuable in terms of dollars but they're not valuable in terms of nutrients and therefore they can cause problems and unhealthy things and you know sugar influx and all these weird stuff that's unnatural um, for us and the animals so I think as we look at it, you know, it's not as black and white as everyone wants it to be, um, and we need it to be as humans, but the reality is this, is when we eat organically or whole foods and we we understand what that is, that doesn't mean a bee that goes from a non-organic farm doesn't end up on an organic farm. You can't stop the bees. I get the argument that a lot of people make, but the reality is, is you want bees around, so let bees do what they're going to do, and eventually we're going to realize that we can't destroy our land. We can't destroy our soil because we're trying to grow things so fast for the wrong parts of the plants. You know, we don't utilize the whole plants. We don't understand what it is when grasses grow, what that really means. And we, we've come to look at food as hunger versus nutrients. Like, and you want to stop being hungry all the time, get the right nutrients in your body. And I'm not saying there isn't food shortages in the world, but they're more than likely nutrient mineral and other uh, shortages versus just food, okay? So that's just something for everyone to be aware of. And we often, even in the United States, when we had the agricultural revolution and fed everyone, we almost killed a majority of the population in the United States by not having many minerals in bread. You know, Wonder Bread had nothing in it. It was nutritionally bankrupt, and it wasn't. there was no wonder about it. You know, until they fortified it. And then they had to go back and instead of making it the right way, they're like, oh, that costs too much money. Let's just put vitamin A and C and D and whatever minerals in it, fortify it. You know, that's the term fortify, meaning what we stripped out of it, we put back in. So I just, that's the thing, guys. And that's the thing with a lot of grains. Grains are 
everything stripped away and then a lot of stuff added back in sometimes molasses sometimes sugar sometimes whatever to help give those grains more weight um and add more weight to the animals so um that being said i appreciate your time Kristen. i hope i that it was dictated properly and you guys are um and that you guys enjoyed this very much because i i support you guys and what you're doing a hundred percent well i have enjoyed it very much and i appreciate again the opportunity to share our farm and what we do and how we do it with you justin yeah absolutely i'm definitely going to have you guys back on the show i will reach out for a part two here or there and definitely get some updated questions for you guys that are specific to what you guys are doing because there's just a lot of questions that i have for you guys and i think the audience is going to have some questions as well and even that as we've gone through this and i've studied this for 14 years it's made me look at a lot of things and make me go back and look at you know, some of the energies and some of the grasses we use and, and what they really are and what the difference is or what the manipulation we have added to them as humans that no longer make them safe for animals or for us uh, in our health. Honestly, even though we sustain life, we are not regenerating it or making it better. We are actually declining when we do eat bad foods. When we put our children on bad foods, we're decre decreasing our legacy, um, unfortunately and the health of our legacy and the intelligence of our legacy. And I will say that all day long. I know some people are going to get offended by that because we're just trying to feed people. But the reality is, is we can do it in a way we can help local economies feed their populations. If we go back to these methods where they don't have to do a million dollar loan to get fertilizer or, you know, GMO seeds to start their, farm they have actual natural stuff organic stuff and the help of what's there for them the animals that are there to help do it maybe they need a helping hand but not in the same way that conventional farming does and i would say one of the reasons things have got so expensive is because everyone thinks that the easier way is the safest way and the reality is it's not the safest way it's the most unstable way you you lead to economic conditions you're always trying to fix something you don't know the long-term outcome of what you're doing we don't we still don't know of all the conventional farming but the reality is we know the long-term outcome of nature it's still here They've still, they're still eating this way and still being the healthiest animals that have ever existed when we stick to those natural ways you know, that's the exactly. part that I think is the easiest and the simplest way to explain it to everyone is we've already done our homework. Why are we trying to recreate it? Why do we need to do this when we already have it? But, you know, I get it. Man always wants to make things better and simpler and easier, but it just doesn't make things healthier, you know? Right. So. Yes. And, you know, conventional uh, input producers such as your commercial fertilizers or other inputs, they use the byline, you know, help us feed the world. And so conventional farmers have heard that so much, they are buying into that fact. But why is it we don't just begin with feeding one another? And we can do it. And our ancestors did it. And I believe we are beginning to see the return of many ways that our ancestors did things, realizing that that was the more healthier 
way to do things, including livestock and grain production, wheat production, whatever you want to call it. It's There's just healthier ways, and we start by feeding one another and supporting our local producers, whether that's local to your town or area or state or whatever, the closest you can find. And we're, if uh, coming through uh, 2020 uh, was certainly challenging, but one of the attributes I believe that we've gained from that is realizing that there are local food opportunities and people are focusing more on those than they are on the uh, internationally produced food that we don't know comes from who knows where. Yeah, I agree with you. And we've almost become cattle ourselves, for lack of a better term, because not only do we believe that these, what I would call unnatural in some ways, or manipulated food sources um, are good for animals, we believe they're good for us. And I think that to, to what everyone says, I agree feeding humans and starvation is an important thing. That it's just a matter of it's not just doing it, it's how we do it. You know, I think that we, we use those statements, and I agree it gives a lot of people purpose, but we get so caught up in the purpose, we often forget to look at how we're actually doing it. And we're like, oh, everyone's being fed, we win. And it's just, that's just not the truth. The truth is, are we feeding everyone healthily? Does it have minerals, vitamins, and nutrients in it that come naturally that our body can break down to maximize and stop from malnutrition and starvation. We have plenty of places in the world where we feed ungodly amounts of food to, and they still suffer from malnutrition. We give yes. away food all the time. And what does that tell us? Well, instead of exporting food, how about let's export knowledge and get them growing organically and regenerating and in their own loops. That way they don't have to rely on international economies or farm products or you know, stuff that's been cultivated, you know, a month ago that's now nutritionally bankrupt even though it might be a whole food because it part it just even to what everyone believes things do deteriorate they they go bad they they lose their value they lose their nutritional value and their minerals based on how far far we harvest them so local economies regeneration is important all over the world you know africa we talk about feeding africa a lot in the middle east and refugees the best thing that we can do for them is give them skills to build regenerative organic grass-fed cageless cage-free whatever you want to call it pasture-raised animals um grass finished that in the way that that we can and that's the biggest skill and from their economies will build Lawyers will come up, accountants will come up, uh, scientists will come up, nutritionists, doctors, all of that will come out of it. But the communities that build these, these regenerative things build ecosystems, not only on their farm, but in their communities by doing the right thing. And you can see it in the communities that this has taken hold in. And if we think of outcomes as in two to three years and we need it then, this is not the fight for you or for all humans. This is done in generations. This is done by changing our planet now so generations years from now can live better than us. And I know everyone wants to do it now and gets attached to the outcome now and wants their purpose to be realized now. It's just never been that way in human history, ever. And the most impactful humans do it over a lifetime, not just over a period of time. You know, that's why I'm careful to 
give praise to those who are existing now because at any moment they could be Napoleon where they fight for democracy, surround themselves by yes men, and then go against everything they believed in because their ego now gets involved and then declare themselves a dictator. This is what I'm talking about. If we want this, we have to see that we have to do it over a lifetime, that we have to eat differently over a lifetime and model it for future generations over a lifetime. Um, so thank you, Kristen, very much. I appreciate what you've done and John's done and the farm you guys have created, um, the message that you guys have, the bravery, being so bold um, in a world that obviously <laughs> doesn't always see things the way that you guys see it for sure. Um, and I know that in my own case, and I appreciate that you guys kept fighting on amongst all the doubters and all that. And I know you guys went through a tough situation, um, in the nineties, but, um, hindsight, I appreciate in ways that God gave you a gift to give to the world and a greater cause than you could ever imagine that I could ever imagine. And the lives that you guys have impact on and, and give to through your product and the health that you're giving away um, knowingly and unknowingly. So I appreciate you guys. Is there anything that you want to say before we go? Anything that I missed? Anything you want to talk about the farm? The microphone's yours, uh, Kristen. So please uh, take us home or, or give us a message that you want anyone to hear. Well, you know, I think if I look back to the beginning and I ask myself, uh, what things would I do differently? Um, or what have I learned that I could apply to um, what I didn't do before? You know, I I think I would uh, try to have a greater appreciation for our ancestors, uh, including our parents. You know, they're, they're really the ones, Justin, who faced the really difficult hardships, and they overcame them. Uh, they took so many chances. Uh, they were dedicated because they remained. Um, their worth ethic uh, has contributed to our future. What they did and how they lived, it continues to impact us. Um, and so I, d I know that as I w when I was younger, I did not value that. And uh, I hope that I'm learning to value it more. Um, I would probably take more pictures and I would journal more than I ever have. Uh, what better way to reach the future generations than to do that? Um, I think I would forget about having everything just right and just invite more people into our home. I would try more diligently to make connections, break down barriers, and build relationships while enjoying food. People love to sit around a table and converse and eat delicious food. And as a young person, I did not appreciate that fact very well. Um, I would keep the faith. Uh, it's easy to lose it at times, or it is for me. So during the best of times and the worst of times, I just need to continue to remind myself he's in control. Uh, he led us to where we are. So I need to give up some of that worrying. Uh, so much about the outcome because there will be a beneficial outcome. And finally, I would spend more time counting my blessings, being thankful, and giving God the glory he deserves for allowing us to be where we are today and to be able to look uh, 
past today and believe that there is a future for our farm. Again, Justin, I just appreciate so much this opportunity to share with you today. And uh, if there's a part two, well, I'm already looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely going to be a part two. I'm going to send you dates today uh, or tomorrow for sure as soon as we get off here because I've got so many things that I want to pick your brain about, and I just think you have so much wisdom. I really look up to you guys, honestly, um, and I really just admire what you guys have done. And um, someone that I feel so young yet so old, um, all of 43, um, and live such a big life, you give me a lot of inspiration that the best is yet to come. You know, and that my mission is only beginning, um, just like it did for you guys. Sometimes hardship gives us new life and gives us new birth and gives us new purpose and drives us to greatness um, and excellence, which I would say that you guys are on. I mean, I'm just so impressed with you guys and the pivoting and the no give up attitude and doing it for the right reasons. And like you said, not attaching yourself to the outcome, I think is just huge in this world. Too many people want something for something in return and and don't give it for the greater good. um, Ultimately where we actually won't even see the outcomes of what we've done. And so I just wanted to say thank you for that. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. Um, It's been incredible. Like I just, I look up to you guys, uh, honestly, and, um, this one well, you're bit. certainly an inspiration yourself in that you have a goal and a passion, and it's very obvious you're headed in that direction. Certainly wish you the very, very best. I appreciate that so much. Um, I'm just going to receive that and say thank you. And, um, you know, because I don't often take time to thank people or, or take a moment to say thank you uh, for all the gifts people give me. And you've given me a gift today for sure. Um not to get emotional, but when I needed it the most. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, God definitely spoke through you today. And um, and so the audience knows I thank you guys also. Try not to get emotional here. Um, but I do want to just pay homage and, and to the fact that you really made an impact on me today, Kristen. And um, I, I will not forget you guys. I really am serious about a part two. But well beyond that, you guys have really anchored something in me that I need to hear today. So um, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate God for sure uh, working in the way that he does um, above us and and for us um, amongst all things. It's always another growing opportunity for me. And uh, there was one today for sure in this podcast. So, uh, You know, if that's the outcome, he gets the glory because neither of us intended that. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I had no idea the impact that you were going to have on me. I knew what a great farm you guys had, um, but I really got to tell you, you really blew me away today um, and left me with so much to think about and reflect on and grow from uh, that I really appreciate that. Um, And the audience, I hope you guys have found the same impact and influence. I mean, Kristen's story and John's Farm's story is just incredible and felt with so much inspiration and motivation to continue to keep doing the right thing and never giving up for sure. Um, if you guys want to find us, we're on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs or at Justin Bizarro, B I Double Z A Double R O. Um, again, you can also find us on the Centurion Leadership Battalion Show with Justin Bizarro, the Justin Ryan Bizarro Show, and the Night Dasher with Justin Bizarro. 
And then hopefully soon here, you'll also be able to find us on Foodtopia Eat, Love, Learn, where we are trying to make change through food. We're trying to show you guys food mapping and what it really is across the world to have farmers integrated in their communities and into their restaurants and totally have this closed net communities that we're talking about. I had no idea this episode was going to get into that, but it's weirdly parallel to what we're trying to do with our TV show. And um, I really appreciate it. Again, everyone, and I love you guys, and we're out. God bless.